Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedda from the Comment and Analysis Desk. Donald Trump's tirades on the presidential campaign trail against unfair competitors carry a message he has used before in a war on native Indians who posed a threat to his casino interests, says Gary Silverman. While this time he has dubbed Mexicans rapists, he earlier warned that his gambling business rivals, the St Regis Mohawks, would bring in their wake crime and violence. As a commercial strategy, this failed. But Gary says Trump's old protectionist tactics were a preview of his current political battles. The St. Regis Mohawks came under attack as they sought to open a second casino in the state of New York. Advertisements appeared in local media around the turn of the current century, claiming that the Native American tribe had a long history of drug dealing, smuggling, and other crimes. New Yorkers were warned that Indian involvement in the gambling industry was making a dirty business even worse. Casino gambling stinks, said one of the advertisements. It brings increased crime, bankruptcy, broken homes, divorce, and in the case of Indian gambling, violence. The broadsides purported to be the work of an anti-gambling group called the New York Institute for Law and Society, but state regulators soon discovered the real story. They unearthed evidence that the man behind the anti-Indian messages was a rival casino owner who had a lot to lose if the Mohawks gained approval to expand their gambling operations in the state. His name was Donald Trump, and his handwriting was found on invoices approving the advertisements according to the regulators. In response, New York officials alleged that Mr. Trump and his associates, including conservative activist Roger Stone, had violated the state's lobbying law. Without admitting guilt, Mr. Trump, Mr. Stone's firm, and the Institute agreed in the year 2000 to pay a $250,000 civil penalty to settle the matter, including $50,000 for ads apologizing to anyone deceived by the anti-Mohawk missives. David Grandot, who was the executive director of the New York Temporary State Commission on Lobbying at the time, said Mr. Trump had control over the content of the ads. When you control the message content and the message delivery in a lobbying ad in New York State, you are responsible to file a registration statement. Mr. Trump's anti-Indian marketing effort received little attention outside his native New York, but it looms today as a preview of his current presidential campaign. Before he characterized illegal Mexican immigrants as rapists or accused Muslim Americans of celebrating the 9-11 terrorist attacks, this year's presumptive Republican presidential nominee made it his business to question the character of Native Americans. For years, Mr. Trump waged his own kind of Indian war in response to a 1988 federal law that paved the way for hundreds of Native American tribes to offer games of chance. His goal was to prevent his new competitors from undermining the three casinos in Atlantic City, New Jersey that he acquired during the 1980s when the Seaside Resort had a casino monopoly in the eastern U.S. 
as a commercial strategy, the effort failed. Native American gaming revenues rose to $28.5 billion by 2014. Non-tribal areas looking for a piece of the action loosened anti-gambling laws, and the U.S. wound up with a casino glut. Mr. Trump was among the losers. His Atlantic City empire fell into decline, and he retreated from the big-time gambling business. However, as a political exercise, Mr. Trump's bitter Indian campaign bore fruit. Before he threw his hat into the ring, Mr. Trump spent years refining a protectionist message that savaged weak-minded U.S. officials for selling out domestic interests in favor of unsavory people with religious or racial backgrounds different than his own. The angry Trump of the 2016 campaign trail, who rails against unfair foreign competitors, speaks from experience as a business executive who suffered at the hands of Native American rivals operating with powers of self-government under the U.S. Constitution. According to Father Richard McGowan, Jesuit priest who serves an associate professor of finance at Boston College's Carroll School of Management and has written several books on the history of the gaming industry, Donald Trump always wanted the government to protect him. I don't think he ever banked on Indian competition. The political irony is that Mr. Trump's interests were undermined by the policies of the patron saint of his party. On October 17, 1988, one of the final days of his second term, President Ronald Reagan signed the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, which allowed the spread of Native American casinos. The legislation was crafted in response to a 1987 Supreme Court decision that gave tribes greater leeway in offering gaming, but it also reflected Reagan's free market ethos. As president, he sought dramatic cuts in aid to Indian tribes, believing that their reservations represented failed exercises in socialism. Running gambling operations was portrayed as a way for the Indians to stand on their own feet. For Mr. Trump, the timing was terrible. As the 1990s began, he was weighed down by billions of dollars in debt used to assemble his property and gambling empire. In 1991, his biggest casino, Trump Taj Mahal, filed for bankruptcy protection the first of four times his companies would be reorganized under Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code. Mr. Trump emerged from the wreckage in the 1990s by doubling down on Atlantic City gambling. He said goodbye to assets including an airline, a 282-foot yacht, and New York's Plaza Hotel, but retained control of his casinos after making the case to his bankers that they would be better off letting him handle such a famously risky business. By the mid-1990s, Mr. Trump was being hailed as a comeback kid. His fall as a gambling kingpin only came later, during the more recent decades, when control of his casino company passed to his creditors. Billionaire Carl Icahn now owns the only Atlantic City property bearing Mr. Trump's name, the Trump Taj Mahal. Mr. Trump's ultimate decline coincided with the growth of competition for the U.S. gambling dollar. In 1992, the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation, backed by Gentinga, Malaysia, opened what became the largest gambling facility in the Western Hemisphere, the Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. In 1996, the state's second Indian casino, the Mohican Sun, debuted. Lacking financial flexibility, Mr. Trump was poorly positioned to respond creatively to the challenge. For example, by enriching the casino experience with shopping, dining, or entertainment options, in the manner of Las Vegas operators such as Steve Wynn. Instead, Mr. Trump fell victim to the rise of convenience gambling, 
the tendency of bettors to frequent the nearest casino. David Schwartz, a former Trump Taj Mahal employee who is now director of the Center for Gaming Research at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, says Atlantic City made a lot of money in the 1980s being the only game in town. When you have more convenient places open up, that's when Atlantic City ran into trouble. Mr. Trump saw the danger, and he fought back in much the same way as he has during his campaign, taking to the airwaves and disparaging his opponents. During an appearance on the Don Imus radio show in 1993, the politically incorrect host asked Mr. Trump's opinion of a group of what he called, quote, drunken engines, unquote, who wanted to open a casino in New Jersey. The man who later came to question Barack Obama's birthplace said he doubted whether his new competitors were really Native Americans. Mr. Trump said, I think I might have more Indian blood than a lot of the so-called Indians that are trying to open the reservations. One of them was telling me his name is Chief Running Water Sitting Bull. And I said, that's a long name. He said, well, just call me Ricky Sanders. So this is one of the Indians. A few weeks later, Mr. Trump appeared before a U.S. House of Representatives subcommittee looking into the state of Indian gaming. He did not hold back. Mr. Trump, who tends to speak off the cuff on the campaign trail, put aside his prepared remarks and lambasted witnesses he accused of saying everything is, quote, peachy dory, unquote. Among them was a U.S. Justice Department official who said the, quote, belief held by some that Indian gaming operations are rife with serious criminality is not established by the data currently available, unquote. Mr. Trump claimed that Indian tribes were incapable of stopping mobsters from dipping into their gaming proceeds. He said he found it hard to believe that, quote, an Indian chief is going to tell Joey Killer to please get off his reservation, unquote. Mr. Trump said, organized crime is rampant, is rampant, I don't mean a little bit, is rampant on the Indian reservations. It will blow sky high. It will be the biggest scandal ever, or one of the biggest scandals since Al Capone in terms of organized crime. Mr. Trump warned the PALS chairman, George Miller, that he was going to be very embarrassed by the fallout, prompting the California Democrat to respond, in my 19 years on this committee, I don't know when I have heard more irresponsible testimony. You have cast upon the Indian nations of this country a blanket indictment. Mr. Trump upped the ante when the St. Regis Mohawks, who had opened the casino on their tribal land in April 1999, were seeking approval to open their second gambling facility in the Catskill Mountains region, about 100 miles from Manhattan. The Trump argument was no longer that the Native American tribes were too weak to stop organized crime. Rather, his secretly funded advertisements argued that the St. Regis Mohawks were a heavily armed mob themselves and should be viewed with suspicion by New Yorkers and their officials. One advertisement asked, Are these the new neighbors we want? The St. Regis Mohawk Indian record of criminal activity is well documented. The Trump campaign did not respond to a request for comment. In an email, Mr. Stone, Mr. Trump's longtime confidant, stood by the content of the ads and said he believed Mr. Trump had grounds for a legal challenge at the time, but settled to avoid a costly and time-consuming court battle. In the years that followed, Mr. Trump, undeterred by the revelations in New York, sought to find his own Native American casino partners, but he struggled to find his place in the new gambling landscape of the U.S. In Connecticut, he made common cause with a group called the Eastern Pequots that hoped to open a casino. However, relations between the Indians and Mr. Trump frayed, 
and federal officials ultimately decided against recognizing the eastern Pequots as a tribe. Far from Atlantic City, Mr. Trump struck a five-year deal starting in 2002 to manage a casino for the 29 Palms Band of Mission Indians in Coachella, California. But this time, it was the Indians who were unimpressed. They paid $6 million to buy out the last two years of Mr. Trump's contract. Tribal leaders said the time had come for them to do the job on their own, without help from the man now running for president. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com. 